All right, something useful and productive, Colossians chapter 1. See, look, 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 more verses, more verses. You guys were all in a panic last week. See, there's, there's more. Wake up. Thank you. <laughs> there are more. Fine. There are more verses. We don't need you anyway. <laughs> the TVs don't like me. See, the weirdest part about this is the one that I look at is the one that never does that. So until I actually turn and look, I always see the screen and it's always working. So then I turn again, I've, I've settled on, it's a humidity problem, there's just too much moisture because the way the wire runs is it goes up and across and then it goes to the back behind there and then it comes, why they did that, I have no idea. But that's, that's what they did and I'm assuming there's just too much wire and on, since the sun just came out, if you get days where there's too much humidity or too much moisture somewhere, I think that's what causes the problem. I don't know. Gremlins. <laughs> well, then stop feeding them after midnight or getting them wet or sunlight, right? That was the other one, right? Wasn't that how that works? So no, it is time to dig into the meat of Colossians. And the reason I say that right from the beginning is because Paul just flat out isn't messing around in this book. He has things to do. He is in prison. He does not have time for flowery words. He is getting straight to the point, And that is what he is doing here. Now, what we're going to get this morning in a, in a long, twisting, roundabout way is a little bit of a lesson on perspective. What I mean by that is, why do you talk the way that you talk? And I don't just mean the words that you don't use. I mean the words that you do use, the way that you see things, the way that you think about things, the way that you talk about things. Does your salvation does your life in Christ influence you to that level? If it doesn't, I'm not going to beat you with a stick today. That's Paul's job. <laughs> I'm just going to read it to you and let Paul smack you with it. See how this works? <laughs> but I am going to encourage you because this is an old lesson that we haven't covered in a while that we're going to cover again today a little bit. You are saved from something. We always remember that part of Christian living, that you are saved from sin. But you are saved to something. You are saved to righteousness in Christ. You are saved to living in a way that honors the God who has redeemed you from the pit, from death, from destruction, from whatever description you would like to give. That matters for how you live in this world. If that is not mattering for how you live in this world, guess what you've just discovered? You've just discovered the place in your life that you get to go kill. That's half the fun of Christian living, is fighting against sin and the corruption in this world. So, ready to dive in? Okay, you guys are real excited this morning, so let's see what happens. I know what happened. I didn't say good morning when we did announcements because I was scurrying up there. So, all right, good morning. Okay, now we're ready to go. <laughs> like, that's going to matter. All right, verse 3, let's dive in. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Full stop. You ready for maybe the second dumbest thing I'll say all day? The first one was don't argue with God. Second dumbest thing I'll say all day. Paul has good theology. Well, duh, right? He better. He's an apostle writing letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, things that we are still reading thousands of years later. But this is subtle good theology, and that's why this is so important and so good. So we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are celebrating God. We are celebrating his work, who he is, the people that he has made, and we are celebrating Jesus as God. Now, we know this, things like John 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, that's Jesus, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, 
because I know you are smart, clever people, you can look right at that and say, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and see exactly how Paul is declaring that Jesus is God, right? Yeah, sure, that's, it's right there, it's obvious. You're going, wait a minute, it doesn't say that. You're, you're trying to do that Bible twisty thingy that they do on TV, aren't you? No, 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 I promise that I'm not, I promise. John 10. The Jews answered him, because this is one of those times in the Gospel of John when they're going to stone him to death, you know, like one of those times again. Jesus answered, uh, he asks why, and they answered, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. How is Jesus making himself out to be God? By claiming that God was his father. Always remember, see, we don't think like this. Like, maybe we should a little bit more. My children are my children. They're not your children. Look, if you see them doing something wrong, tell them. You see them doing something good, give them a pat on the back. But at the end of the day, who's responsible for them in this world? I am. They're my children. They are a part of me. I have responsibility over them. That is the relationship that we still sort of keep in our culture, although we try to soften that and water that down and tear that apart even more. Uh, insert your own cultural commentary to what's going on in the world. I'm going to stop talking right there for a little bit because we have more important things to say. But if you rewind in culture, that bond doesn't get weaker. That bond gets stronger. You go back to this world to claim to be a child of God, to claim to be the son of God, to claim that God is your father, is to claim that you are part and parcel with God, that you and he are the same thing. Now, good Trinitarian theology, one essence, three persons. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, and you know how that all works. But at the baseline, the same, oh, what's a good way of putting this? There's really not, this is the problem with, with human language, is finite, fallen, sinful creatures are trying to describe an infinite, holy God that is beyond us. So all of our descriptions are going to break down. So whatever the thing that whatever the godness of god is the best way i can describe it that i've heard for years is the, the thing that makes god god the son the father and the spirit all possess that at the core but they are distinct from one another again have fun thinking about that for the rest of the day when you give yourself a headache headache do not blame me it is not my fault okay you did that to yourself <laughs> using that declaration here though that's a simple but powerful declaration to the Colossian church of who Christ is and why his work matters. It's something that we forget. Now, second thing, there's a reason why I use John as cross-references. We could have used other verses in the Gospels. We could have used other of Paul's letters. We could have used one of Peter's letters. But the thing that I like about using John is time. Mentioned last week, Paul is writing a prison epistle here. So 61, 62, 63-ish AD, somewhere in that ballpark. When is the Gospel of John written? Guesses? Anybody? A long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Typically, um, believing scholarship would put it as dated in the early 90s, which means the explicit understood doctrines that Paul is teaching in Colossians they haven't gone anywhere three decades later. You have a consistency in the apostolic testimony. And it's also consistent, I mentioned, I said we could go forward. Well, technically go forward in your Bible, which would be technically back in time. And we could have looked at Mark. We could have looked at Matthew. 
which are gospels written late 50s, early 60s. So we are talking about a consistent apostolic testimony. By the way, the writing of those things is 20 years after the actual proclamation and teachings of these things, which means we get a window into a 50 or 60 year period from the early 30s AD to the early 90s AD where the apostolic testimony has changed how much? Hasn't changed at all. It's not just little, it hasn't changed at all. This is helpful. This is consistent. These people are dying. These people are being persecuted. They are traveling far and wide. They are preaching to Jewish cultures. They are preaching to Gentile cultures. They are writing letters. They are preaching to good churches. They are teaching churches that are struggling. They are encouraging. They are condemning sin. They're doing all these things. And yet, and yet, what's the message done? How much has it changed? It hasn't. Hasn't at all. Christian, you can rejoice. Do you need to confront sin? Go to your Gospels. Go to your New Testament. Go to the teachings about Christ. Do you need to encourage your brethren? Go to the writings of the New Testament. Do you need instruction on evangelism? Go to your New Testament. Do you need encouragement for walking through troubles? Go to your understandings in your New Testament. These are covering everything. The rejoicing that we have, understanding who God is and what he has done, is applicable to every avenue of life. Whether it is good, whether it is bad, whether we are walking well, whether we are struggling, whether we are fighting, whether we are rejoicing, you can rest on the teachings of Christ as given in your New Testament. That's an encouragement because it has not changed and it does not change. Therefore, it will not change. Whether the earth be shaken, whether the foundations crumble, you can rest on the truths that God has given you. So, because they're giving thanks, they're praying always for you. That's not you, by the way. That's the Colossians. Although, if Paul knew about you, just so you know, he would have probably prayed for you as well. You can be encouraged by that. He may not have liked you, but he would have prayed for you. (laughs) This is how Christians, by the way, should act for one another, whether you like them or not. And by the way, you do know, you do know you're not a terrible person if somebody's personality rubs you the wrong way, right? Like you're not going to like everybody. It's okay. I tell you guys all the time, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. That's why I tell you all the time, you guys keep coming back to listen to me. That, I think you're weird. Because <laughs> I know I'm weird, so if you're listening to me and you're enjoying any of this, what does that say about you people? Mm, no. <laughs> Got to have a little fun. But... There are people you will like, people you will dislike, people you are closer to than others. The Christian command is not to like everybody. The Christian command is to look past how I feel about you and live based on what I know about you in Christ. Are you a brother before the king? Then I love you and I care for you. I may not be happy about everything that you do, but I can love and pray and encourage and disciple, and do all of those things, and expect you to do the same. That's why I've told you in church, when someone gives you a critique, and you don't like the person, you don't like the critique, or you don't like the wisdom, you know what you should do? Think about it anyway. You don't shoot the messenger, you evaluate the message. Go back to your Bible, spend some time in prayer, think it through in wisdom, come up with a determination, and then live accordingly. This is not about what you like. This is not about what you prefer. This is about how you live in light of God, who he is, and what he has done. Remember, they both went. Fine, I'm pointing at this one. (laughs) Remember, Paul has never met these people. And he prays for them. And he wants to encourage them. And he wants to lift them up. John 13 again. 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Remember the verse we read last week. You should have something in common with Christians all across this planet, because you have something in common with them. You actually have something in common. For First uh, Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You should be looking beyond, what do I like about you? What do I know about you in this world? And looking to, what do I know about you in eternity? Who are you before Christ? That's the number one thing that should determine how I live and how I interact and how I listen and how I disciple and how I evangelize is an understanding that it is God's work amongst his people that guides everything that I'm doing to the uttermost. Now, this is important because, Christian, this is actually part of your sanctification. And I'm serious about this. I mean, none of you have ever been in a situation I'm being sarcastic here in case you didn't pick up on that. Whenever I say none of you have ever been (laughs) where you have been put into a place where you must interact daily with people you like or don't like. See, I'm laughing because you can all name one situation that you spent lots of time in like that. What was it called? No, before work. School. We stuck you in a room for eight hours a day with a bunch of people. Some of them were your best friends in the world and some of them were like, Let's be honest, how often did you say pray for that person? Exactly, exactly. What's the difference between that and this? There should be a lot. Should be a lot of difference. Why were you in that room together? What was your defining characteristics that you had in common? You were the same age and you lived in the same general area. Yeah, but that's why. You were told to because you were the same age and you lived in the same general area. Therefore, you're together. So what? Well, Christian, why are we together in this room? Because of what Christ has accomplished. Because of who we are, not in this world, but because of Christ. We have different ages. We have different family situations. Some of you, like me, you have kids. Some of you have adult kids. Some of you have grandkids. Some of you have great-grandkids. Some of you are helping with, yeah, some of you have both. Some of you are raising family members. Some of you are discipling. Some of you have medical issues. Some of you are older. Some of you are younger. Some of you are richer. Some of you are poorer. We have all different life situations. And in a normal circumstance, we should have nothing in common, but we have Christ. And because we have Christ, we have more in common than this world could ever give as a means of fellowship and concern. Understanding that and growing in that and living according to that is part of your sanctification in this world. This is something we talked a little bit about in Sunday school this morning. The world wants you comfortable with it. Everything is designed to get you to put your pleasures, your peace, all of the things that you would long for in this place, it gets you to try to put them in the world. I mean, let's think about it. If you, were, if you were anywhere in the neighborhood of my generation, you were told what? Going through school. You need to pay attention to what's going on so that you can get good grades. Why? So you can go to college. Because if you don't go to college, how are you ever going to get a good job? And if you don't get a good job, how are you going to provide for your family? How are you going to retire when you're 50 and do all it? <laughs> I, I, I've joked with Cameron about this. When she was teaching pre-K, pre-K, They had a a meeting with pre-K and the kindergarten teachers. One of the kindergarten teachers started out every school year with her mantra for her students. You know what the mantra was? All right, kids, let's say, 
We are going to college. They're five. They're, they're five. <laughs> That's part of the world that you live in, is getting you to care about what? Now, look, if you're capable and able and you have the means, should you go to college? You figure that out. I'm not going to tell you yes or no. I spent more time in a classroom than I care to remember. My parents had, my parents had me in preschool when I was three. Okay, I was in preschool from three and four, kindergarten at five. I was in a classroom, then I went to college, and then I was out of, col- out of college for a grand total of two years before I got a- went and got a master's degree. So between three and 25 years old, I spent 22 years of that life in a classroom. I've been in more classrooms than I should, yeah. <laughs> and scars and memories and traumas that I don't even want. And that's the one joy of having a, a borderline photographic memory. Guess how much of that stuff you get to remember each day. You wonder why I am the way that I am. (laughs) That's not the point of this world, though. The point of this world is, if you're in a classroom, be in a classroom to the glory of God. If you're in a job, be in that job until the glory of God. If you are struggling, struggle in your life until the glory of God. If you are living in prosperity, live in prosperity unto the glory of God. Whether you can give or whether you can pray or whether you can serve or whether you can encourage, you do all things unto the glory of God. This is your growing in sanctification. And part of that is looking at the world around you and going, that person has nothing in common with me. They are richer, they are poorer, their family is a different position, but we are one in Christ. Therefore, that is my brother. And I love that person, and I care, and I wish to encourage, and I wish to disciple, and I wish to build up. Second Peter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. In other words, that person you don't like, that person you don't care for, in Christ, God has looked at them and said what? Mine. I love them, and I care for them, and I will build them up. And we're going to come along and say what? (laughs) That's part of your growth is recognizing there are people that I like, people that I don't like, things that I have in common, things that I don't have in common, things that I think that are good, things that I think that are bad, and they must all be servants to who I am in Christ. Not some of them, all of them. This is, by the way, why, um, why when you look at the world and the world tells you, no, this is how we're supposed to live, and this is who's important, this is who's not important, we go, no. Because what eliminates prejudice? What eliminates hatred? What eliminates the understanding that I think I'm better than you because I have more money or because I have a better family or anything like that? It's an understanding of who we are before God. Without Christ, we are all equally worthless. In Christ, we are, equally, we are all equally glorified before God. That's what eliminates pride. That's what eliminates my standing as I think I have it in this world. So, Paul is praying for them, verse 4, since he has heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Hey, some good news traveled. I give up on you. (laughs) Good news has traveled. That, that, That would be nice to hear for once, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice to turn on the news one time and it'd actually be a good story as opposed to like which 12 people were shot in Rockford this week? That's why, for some odd reason, I can't figure this out. There is a there is a person who goes to my gym in the morning who only watches the news, and it's like I walk in, I watch the and the local news is on, and it's like, 
What is the obsession? Okay, the weather is going to be that, and here's the people who died and the people who are wanted by police this week. That's literally the news broadcast while I'm there. So the first thing I do when I'm by myself in the gym is turn that channel off, because <laughs> I don't care anymore. I want good news. I don't need to be told how terrible the world is. You know what I know about the world? It's lost. You know what I know that, that means about it? It's terrible, and I haven't got to be told that. I know that already. I want something good because I want to rejoice in the good news like I'm supposed to. Luke 15. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is where my joy should be, not in the accomplishments of the world, but in the accomplishments of Christ. So Paul is, it's, it's a conspiracy at this point. It, they know. I looked away and it came back on and then it went off when I looked back, didn't it? <laughs> One of you has a button, don't you? <laughs> since, so Paul is praying for them since he has heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. See, more than just hearing a good testimony, it's hearing that their works are matching up with their lives. In other words, they are not just talking the talk, they are walking the walk. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is being shown. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. First uh, John 2, the one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And oh, by the way, not a new idea in your New Testament that the way that you live actually matters based on what you claim to believe. Let's rewind to our previous book that we went through, James. Well, not the most previous, but the last New Testament. How about that? What use is it, brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Now, <laughs> this is always one of my favorite little New Testament examples, simply because it's just so obvious that you can't miss it. I mean, just imagine you come across somebody from church and they're literally laying in January by the side of the road in tattered clothes, and they're hungry. And you go, man, I really wish God would send a Christian that could care for you by to take care of you. I'm going to go pray for that. <laughs> See, you're, you're horrified, and I'm trying not to laugh because it's a, it's a ridiculous example. But that's literally what James is saying. The answer is God sent by a Christian who can do something. Who was that? You, because you're standing there. Now, Let's have some fun. See, because James will use some of this um, Old Testament example, and Paul will as well. But I want to have fun with you guys first. Who did your homework? <laughs> You're like, I had homework? Wait, wait, I didn't know there was going to be a test on this later. How many of you went and read, Hebrew, went and read Hebrews 11? <laughs> see, see? So hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me, let, me, let me get out my disappointed dad look. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm over it. <laughs> I can't guilt like my grandmother used to. My grandmother had the best guilt. She, um, she would call my mother and say, uh, and she, at that point, she had the voice going. It's like, Amy, can, can you come by? And this was her thing. She would only call my mother for one of two things, to do the laundry or, can you come by and pluck my face? Because good uh, English stock, she was growing a nice beard. And <laughs> so she would want my mother to come. My mother's like, so she would, yes, because if my mother ever said no, she's like, okay, well, I'll just be here and I'll see if maybe I can get one of the nurses and see. And All right, fine, I will come by. My grandmother had guilt down to a science. So anyway, <laughs> not that you asked, but again, you wonder why I am the way that I am. 
My, my mother's response to me always was, when I get like this, tell me. <laughs> like, no, no, I'm going to do just like you do, and I'm not telling you anything, so there you go. But I do encourage you to go read Hebrews 11 and answer some questions. We'll do them now, though. How do you know Noah was faithful and trusted in God? Say it loud. He built the ark. If he didn't believe what God had told him, would he have built the boat? No, no, he didn't. How do you know Abraham was faithful and believed in God? He took Isaac where? He took Isaac up the mountain. God says, go sacrifice something. Come here, boy. Bring the wood. Come on. <laughs> um, Dad, uh, we got the wood. We got the knife. Um, well, where's the sacrifice coming from? Just out of morbid curiosity. Yeah. Always fun note about your Bible. There are no other recorded interactions between Abraham and Isaac after that chapter. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> uh, how do you know Rahab in Jericho? How do you know she believed God and trusted what he said? She sheltered the spies. I mean, this is, your faith is actually supposed to produce something. James doesn't come up with this idea out of thin air. Paul isn't, <laughs> Paul isn't praising this idea. It's, it's a habit at this point. It's just, this is the way my Vanna White impression goes. It goes to the right. I, it's just wrong to go to the left. I don't know why. <sighs> Paul is praising this because this is the demonstrated fruit going back down through the ages. Christian, you aren't just supposed to claim to think differently. You are supposed to live differently. What's our math equation? What does the gospel message do in the work of the Holy Spirit? It changes your heart, which changes the way that you think, which changes what you want out of this world, and changes, therefore, how you live in this world. This is why we look at your life and say what? This is good. This is bad. Because what is it a revelation of? Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. What's coming out of you is what's defiling, because it's revealing whether or not you are a whitewashed tomb is how you live is a demonstration of what you want out of this world and what you're living for in this world. Therefore, evaluate your life accordingly. That's half the fun. Now, by the way, that is also an encouragement as to why I'm not even going to look. I'm just not even going to point and not look. <laughs> that way it can't get me. This is also why you continue on in this world. When things are difficult, you can keep going. When things are good, you can keep going. When things are hard, when life has kicked you, when you are struggling, when sin is its most present, you can keep going because you have a hope in the accomplishments of Christ. That if he can pull me out of the pit, he can keep me from falling back into it. And he can keep me until the final day when I will be cleansed in his kingdom. I can rejoice and keep moving even in difficulty because I know who he is and what he has done. Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you have previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. See, because of hope, I told you, this is why you can have hope. <laughs> you have been changed by the work of the Holy Spirit because of the completed work of Christ. And because God cannot fail you or forsake you, and if you want a Bible verse for that, Isaiah 14, the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. Just as I have planned, so it will stand because it is the God that is that God and that power that has held you it is that power that will hold you you can trust and by the way that's also how you can get your hope out of this world 
and get it on the world that is to come? What does this world actually offer you that provides you with peace, that provides you with prosperity, that provides you with sanctuary? Where, where, where is it? I mean, in, in, in all honesty, if, you, if, you'd like, if, you'd like a good, if you'd like a good example of this, go look at any company that has surrendered to any aspect of the culture and ask yourself, are they now immune? Are they now immune? If you want, to, if you want a great example of this, I have, I have several people that I know that don't watch football anymore. Do you know why? Because they couldn't take the last couple of years with the NFL and everything that was in the end zones and going, they couldn't take any of it. You know what the story was that was coming out about the NFL this past week? You know, even though we've had the Rooney rule that makes teams interview black coaches for the last 20 years, there aren't enough black coaches. To which I say, this is what you get. Now, do I care who's coaching an NFL team? No, I'm not making a commentary on that one way or the other. But for an organization that has surrendered to every aspect of the culture at every turn, the answer for them is what? Was that enough? No. Was that good enough? No. When do locusts stop devouring? When it's gone. Gone. When there's nothing left to eat, that is when the locust stops. What is the world without Christ other than a plague of locusts devouring anything that they perceive as goodness and light? This is why you do not place your markers and your foundation stones in the world and why you must place them on a foundation built upon Christ. Because anything that is not built upon Christ is built upon their principles, their understandings, and it cannot and it will not stand. Do you know why? First of all, they won't allow it. They won't allow it. They will say, you know, we appreciate that you have come this far. You know what we would like you to do? We would like you to come a little bit farther. And we appreciate that you have now come this far. We like that. You know what we would like you to do? We would like you to come a little farther. It's, it's, it's what we've talked about how many times. Your drift into sin is never like this. I'm here. I'm doing well. I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death and I fear no evil. Ooh, sin, yay! It never looks like that. Never once. What does it look like? Well, you know, I can still see over here. I mean, the light is brightest right here on the path. But look, 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 look. I'm just making room for someone else that, that might need that light more than me. Look, I can still see. And then you move a little bit more over here. And, and look, I can still see. And every little step you take, you adjust a little bit more to the darkness. And next thing you know, how far off the path are you? But what can you still do? I can still see. I'm, it's okay. I can see where the light was. I'm good. I'm good. That's what it looks like. And you just... You just drift slowly away. This is what the culture wants from you. Because then when you say, you know, I think I've drifted far enough. I think we've gone too far. They look at you and say, what? Oh, you're like those people. (laughs) Well, I've just spent how much of my life forsaking those people. But if you're not willing to go along with everything, then you're not willing to go along with anything. That's the view. The gospel message is what? Romans 5. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. In other words, I don't have to put my marker with them. I don't have to worry about drifting because my marker has been planted in Christ, in God, and it cannot be moved and it cannot be forsaken and it cannot be shaken and it cannot be lost. Therefore... I am good because he is good 
and I will be good because he will be good, and I will be glorified because that is the glory that he has promised me, and I can rejoice and I can hope in that regardless of what they promise, regardless of the lie that is told, regardless of what is demanded, I can stand here. And what's, what's the word I've told you you need to learn when it comes to the world around you in Christ? What's the word you have to be really comfortable with? No. I stand. You need to get a little bit more Martin Luther in your life. When asked to condemn his writings, popes and councils have erred. I can't condemn these things. My heart is held captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. In other words, no, this is what the scripture has taught me. I can't forsake that. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you might do to me. I don't care what you want. I stand on scripture and I can do nothing else. So help me God. Christian. We need a lot more of that in our lives. Because again, it's not, you get the big things right. You get the hard questions from the big stuff when you turn on the news. It's the subtle things. It's the, you know, how worried am I about my retirement? Look, plan. Make preparations. But your life won't be good as a senior because you put enough money away. That can be gone like that. I trained my kids well. Look how good they're doing. My grandkids will be fine. I did a good job with my kids. Maybe. Maybe not. You're still here. You still have influence. You still have wisdom to demonstrate. Therefore, do what? I've taken care of myself. I have my health. I'll be okay until you're not. Your hope cannot be placed here. But those are, the, those are simple things. But how often every day is that our hope? Is that our security? I've made plans. I've made preparations. I'm going to be okay. That's thinking about down here. Now look, should you take care of yourself? Yes. Should you plan for your future? Yes. Is that where your hope lies? No. Now, what would it look like? If you're on the outside looking in, so, okay, you're ready. You and I, we will sit. We're on the outside looking in. The person we're going to evaluate is over there. And we're looking at that person, and there's two of them, all right? So there's one person on the right, one person on the left. Person on the right has their entire hope in their health and in their wisdom and in their retirement. That is the only reason they get up each and every morning. Person on the left is wisely planning for the future, wisely trying to take care of themselves, wisely trying to make good decisions. Now, looking at them, One's hope is in the world. One's hope is in God. What would they look like that's different? What would look different about the two of them? See, you nailed it. Nothing. They would be doing the same things. Where, where's the difference lie? You have to, each and every morning, have that conversation with that person in the mirror and evaluate not just who you are, but why you are. This was a lesson that was drilled into me my entire life. Why? Ask why. If there's not a good reason why... Don't do it. <laughs> it's a part of wisdom that we're just not comfortable with because we want to get along in this place. That cannot be our God. God must be the one who we live for. We cannot have peace and security out there be the thing we live for. We have to have our peace and security as found in Christ be the thing that we live for day in and day out. If it is not, congratulations, you found your idol. Guess what you get to go do tomorrow? Do we, need, do we need visual aids again? We, we kill it. And how do we kill it? With fire! <laughs> Sorry, need to make sure you guys are awake a little. All right. 
Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, verse 6, which has come to you just as in all the world, is it constantly bearing fruit and increasing. In other words, is there a difference between the message the Colossians got and the message the Philippians got? Difference between the messages that went to the Ephesians, the Laodiceans, the Christians in Hierapolis. By the way, that was the other part of the question. Did anybody find the church at Colossae in Revelation 3? Did anybody even look? Did you forget that homework too? Hang on. Do I need to, do I need to be disappointed, Dad, again? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so you got to read Hebrews 11. You got to look for the church at Colossae at, in, in, Hebrew, in Revelation 3. It'll be good for you. It's in the letter to the Laodiceans. I promise they're in there. <laughs> It'll be good for you. There's not a different message. There's not a different hope. It's the same message that produces because it is what God has promised. And by the way, another not new idea, Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and the Lord will have compassion upon him. Return to God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and make it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. In other words, the same gospel that changed you, the same gospel that disciples you, is the same gospel message that changes the world and disciples them. When we sit here and say, well, maybe, how about this? We'll take the message and then we'll just try to soften, stop that. Or we'll take the message and we'll put it in a different looking package. Stop that. Or we'll take the message, but we'll try to make it a little bit more. Stop that. (laughs) You know what you do? You take the message and you present it. You don't try to put it into a different world. You don't try to put it into a different package. You don't try to top it with better cake frosting. You take the message and you present it. It is the same message that changed you. It is the same message that changed Paul. It is the same message that changed all of them. And it is the same message that has changed every Christian from the beginning until now. And it's the same message that will change every Christian until Jesus comes back. We present it primarily by doing what? By actually following it. By actually following it in this world. See, we always talk like how, and look, I'm right here with you. How does my living out my faith produce a testimony. If, if that's a struggle for us, and I'm, I'm, I'm lumping me in with you, I'm not picking on you guys. If that's a struggle for us, then am I actually living this out according to the contrariness of the world? And if I'm not, then does that say something about the gospel message or me and how I'm living? Your mileage may vary, terms and conditions may apply, evaluate in your life. These are the things that you have to be thinking through. When I'm living, am I living to the glory of God? Am I doing my job to the glory of God? Am I discipling to the glory of God? Am I thinking through these things to the glory of God? Am I arguing according to the pattern of the world, or am I bringing the sword to bear in this fight? This is the thing that is different. And look, what's more comfortable? Be honest, what's more comfortable? 
it's more comfortable to sit there and say, okay, I see what the argument is, so here's what I'm going to do. I will step into the arena, and I will use your weapons and use your arguments, and we'll see if I can win this, and then in the course of that, I'll see if I can maybe drag you over here so we can talk about the thing I want to talk about. Has that ever worked once? (laughs) Ever? Seriously? No. Don't get into the fray. Unless you do what? When in doubt, get what? A bigger Bible. Why do you need a bigger Bible when in doubt? Because if this one wasn't big enough to hit you with, the bigger one will be. That's why if you you grew up in an old school Christian family, your grandmother had that massive hardback family Bible where everybody's birthday and marriage date and all the kids' birthdays. It's because when your parents got out of line or when your grandparents got out of line, your great-grandmother was like, come here. (laughs) You didn't learn it when I told you to you. You might learn it when I imprint it onto your rear end. And by the way, that doesn't work. (laughs) You don't get to sit there and be like, learn the Bible, learn the Bible, learn the Bible. So I'm kidding. Although, I keep threatening one of these years, I'm going to get some funding started. I'm going to start a Nehemiah 13 ministry. So just so you know. Always remember, that is my life first, is Nehemiah 13.25. I beat them about the head and pulled out their beards and made them swear by God. (laughs) Stop that, you people. There are days you have wanted to. Don't, don't, again, don't be like me, kids. <laughs> now, same gospel message going out into all the world as it is, conti- it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing because isn't this what God has promised he would do? It's not just that the word won't return to him void. It's that the word will accomplish what he wants. What is God trying to do? And That's a terrible way of phrasing it, because God's not trying to do anything. God is. What is he accomplishing? He is building up his kingdom. He is bringing his people to repentance and salvation in Christ. John 14, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. This is the building of the kingdom being done by the Holy Spirit, being done by the proclamation of God's people each and every day. And by the way, um, fast forward to Hebrews. Um, What's the method that we use for this madness that we do day in and day out? Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, we leave that behind when we say, well, I don't want to make this a religious argument. Let me say the uncomfortable part out loud. You ready? All of your arguments are religious arguments. All of them. All of them. Because your life in Christ should influence how much of your life. Therefore, I am doing this thing unto the glory of God. I am thinking like this unto the glory of God. To tell me to think about it differently is to tell me to do something not unto the glory of God. That's a religious argument. To tell me to not live like this when I am attempting to live unto the glory of God is to tell me that we're having a religious argument. Because what, what's really being said is, I don't like your religion. And, and trust me, as someone who has spent time as an adult, as an angry atheist, there is no more religious person than the person who hates God. Okay? There is no more religious person than the person who hates God. Clinging to it. Fighting for it. I mean, let's be honest, Christian. So you're, imagine just walking through the mall, just 
I know nobody goes to the mall anymore. Don't laugh. <laughs> but just imagine, you're, every once in a while we have to go somewhere other than Walmart, right? <laughs> you're walking through the mall, and someone walks up to you and goes, I'm an atheist. What is your thought? Uh, yes, yeah, okay, cool. Cool story, bro. I, 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 I'm going to go get some shoes. You want to walk and talk for a minute? Your first thought is, I'm not really sure I care. But are you going to get mad at them? You want to throw things at them? You want to fight them? You know how many videos we have of people trying to hand out gospel tracts, being cursed at, spit upon, things thrown at them? There is no more religious person than the person who claims to hate God. The reason why your Christianity bothers them is, again, the truth of Romans 1. They know, and they don't want to hear it. And therefore, you're reminding them of what they know to be true about themselves. And they don't want to hear that. Again, we sanitize life. I don't have to think about eternity because I have 27,000 other things that can occupy my day. Therefore, I can spend almost every minute of my existence not thinking about what's going to happen when these eyes close for the last time. And the only minute of my existence I'm going to think about it is when? When I know it's coming. And I spend a lot of my life not thinking about that if I'm the angry atheist. And you people giving me your gospel tracks and trying to love me and save me, you know what you're reminding me of? Uh-huh. And I don't want to think about that. That's why I hate you. That's the mindset. That's the argument. Now, Christian, what softens that heart? Nothing you can do. Only the work that God can do. And what's the means by which that work is done? It is the proclamation of the gospel, the testimony of the apostles to the work of Christ, the culmination of the history of what God has been doing since literally the beginning. To bring something else is to walk in lunacy. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews ask for signs. Greeks search for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block. To the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, to try to go out into the world and to bring anything other than the testimony of who Christ is and how he has changed us and why we are living for him is dumb, and what's the rule? Don't do dumb things! I literally have a hoodie. Cameron wears it because it doesn't quit fit quite right. <laughs> Which is probably a good thing, because otherwise I would wear that more often. <laughs> That'd be good on the video. Pastor said, here, don't do dummy things. <sighs> and we laugh, but you, simple lessons are important. They matter. My kids will look at me and go, you keep telling me not to do dumb things. Again, I've told you the favorite, my favorite question in my household is what? What did you think was going to happen? It's to the point now, Connor's not quite there yet, but Jada will look at me and she'll do something that falls onto the scale of dumb. And I'll go to say something. She'll be like, I know, I didn't think, didn't think. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a step right there. We are moving in the right direction here. 
Connor still is on that. I do things and then I think about them afterwards. I, I just hope he lives long enough to outgrow that. Because <laughs> as you know with guys, once teenage years start coming along, there's a very real possibility that the thing that he does before thinking could be more dangerous than it should be. So, yeah. Yeah, girls get there faster, so I'm, I'm happy about that. But yeah, this is how we're supposed to live, though, Christian. Why? Why, 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 why? Why am I doing this? Why am I living like this? Why am I not living like that? Again, go back to my question at the beginning. I know God and his work in Christ will influence the words you don't say. You all have a list, right? There's the things I'm allowed to say at work that I'm not allowed to say in front of the kids that I'm not allowed to say at church. I'll give you, I'll give you the, the talk I had one time with my kids on a church van. Not my, not my kids' kids, but my church kids. It's, why do we all do that, by the way? You put an adult in charge of a group of people at church, and they immediately become my kids. You notice that? Like, I was driving with my kids in the van. You're like, how many kids do you have? There was like 12 of them. It was, like, it's, it was the youth group. We all do that. I don't know why. <laughs> I did that with my baseball teams. These are my kids. Like, this is my baseball team. I coach them. These are my kids. And they were sitting there trying to tell a story. Two girls sitting. Did. If you're going to try to tell a story you're not supposed to tell, don't sit right behind the driver. Okay, just rule of life. <laughs> sitting right there, and I hear the words, why well, I can't tell you that story now. We're on the church van. Dude, if you can't tell the story on the church van, has it dawned on you quite possibly that you shouldn't tell that story? He's just like, huh. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> but be honest. You can censor yourself here. Why can't you censor yourself at home? We all have that list. So there's the things I don't say. But is there a list of things that I do say because of who I am in Christ? Because I got really bad news for you. That list is actually more important. That's the important stuff. Yes, you should avoid the filthy things. Yes, you should avoid the bad things. Yes, you should avoid the things that tear down. But are you intentionally building up? Are you intentionally uplifting? Are you intentionally encouraging? Are you intentionally discipling? Are you intentionally doing all of the things we're actually supposed to be doing? Is there a list of things you do? as opposed to just a thing, list of things that you avoid. Paul finishes up. Verse 7. Just as you learn, so they're doing that, just as you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. I love that part because I keep mentioning, Paul has never met these people. These are Epaphras' people. This is where Epaphras is from. Uh, best we can figure is he's the one who planted the church. This is one of the reasons we figure that, by the way, is this verse. But Paul hears a testimony from Epaphras, and Paul is like, this is awesome. Paul's first thought is not, you know what I need to do? I need to go get on a bus as soon as we figure out how to make a bus. So I need you guys to work on rubber tires, and I'll work on an engine. We'll build a bus, and then we'll go to Colossae, and that way I can double-check the work that you've done because, you know, it doesn't really count unless it comes from me, an apostle. That's not Paul's attitude, is it? Paul's attitude is what? You planted a church and they're Christians? Okay, sweet. How are they living? They're, they're living according to the Holy Spirit and this is awesome. Philippians 1. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife. Some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Just imagine that. There's a group of people traveling around preaching the gospel to annoy Paul because he's in jail and he can't do it. How much do you have to hate somebody to be like, I know how we'll get him. We'll preach the gospel and he'll be jealous that we get to do it and he doesn't. That'll be awesome. How warped do you have to be in your heart and mind to think like that? Anyway, <laughs> what then? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Paul doesn't care who you're, who's doing it. Paul doesn't care why you're doing it. Paul cares what? You're doing it. Because if the why, if, if the why is wrong, you know who's going to deal with you? God will. Paul doesn't have to worry about that. I can look at the life and go, yeah, I may have questions about your motives, but you know what I don't know? I can't read your mind and I can't read your heart, but God can. So I will trust him to work out the details and I will just continue on faithfully and I will rejoice when good work is done. And he also informed us of your love in the spirit. Verse eight, this is where Paul's continuing. This is the celebration. This is why Paul can rejoice. This is why he can pray. This is why he can be encouraged. God has worked. The kingdom is growing. He might be in Ephesus. He might be in, well, at this point, he's in jail in Rome. He was close when he was in Ephesus. He was close when he was in Corinth, but he never got there. It doesn't matter because the gospel got there and the message got there and the kingdom got there. Christian, this is one of the places we have to plant our flag day in and day out. Paul is sitting under arrest, facing trial. He has watched persecution. He has watched failure. He has watched people die for the gospel. And his answer is what? Kingdom works. Kingdom advances. And I have joy. There is no darkness that extinguishes the light. Therefore, we can trust that God's work, because he has not forgotten, he has not forsaken, will continue, and he will bring to a good end all the works that he has promised to bring forth. And we can trust that no matter what it looks like out there, that he is going to carry us through, that we can take up our cross daily, that we can forsake the things of this world and know that the end to which we are persevering towards is good. So we can love our struggle and we can love our battles against sin, and we can love our battles against the world, and we can love all that God has given to us in this world. Let's be honest. Would you have signed up for the culture that you have today? (laughs) Most of you were like, no, not even a little bit. Guess what? You don't get that choice. You have been told to live in this world unto the glory of God. That will look different from how the previous generations lived unto the glory of God. But the end result won't change. The power behind the work won't change because God hasn't changed. His message still bears fruit. His people are still being redeemed. His people are still being strengthened, and we can still rest on his promises day in and day out. Let's pray.